Hello, and welcome to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast. Today, we present another episode of our continuing series called Piloting Your Mind. I'm the United MEC spokesman, Captain James Belton. On today's Piloting Your Mind episode, we are excited to have two guests here, along with Captain Lynn Tatum from our SOAR committee. Lynn, can you open the discussion for us? Thanks, Jim. I asked Dr. Quay Snyder to come on our episode and talk to us about pilot stress. I want him to also introduce how the FAA sees pilot stress and emotions on our job. Dr. Snyder will also educate the listeners about his company, AMAS. Both Dr. Snyder and AMAS is a big resource for SOAR. We want the listeners to be privy of that. We're also very excited to have one of our own pilots, Luis Perez. He's gonna give us a pilot testimony and share with us his mindfulness techniques. Dr. Snyder, it's great to have you on board today. Can you start by giving us a uh, short bio of yourself? Sure, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, Like Lynn, I went to school at the Air Force Academy and I wanted to be a pilot. I was a CFI at the time in gliders, but I lost my pilot qualifications, so I had to go into my second career choice, which was medicine. Uh, The Air Force sent me to medical school and then was kind enough to send me to Korea, and I had a chance to get back into flying again. Uh, And that changed my um, trajectory from initially family practice ER to aerospace medicine. Um, In doing that training, Uh, I had the requirement to do a master's in public health, which required me to rotate with industry. And they had uh, an opportunity to rotate with the Alpa Era Medical Office. I didn't know what Alpa was at the time, um, but I took the opportunity to spend a year working with them and really, really enjoyed what I was doing. Um, The Air Force sent me back to Korea again. And while I was in Korea, I got a call from Dr. Don Hudson, who was the new Alpa Era Medical Advisor and asked if I wanted to join the practice. Um, at that point, I had 17 years in the Air Force. I was close to retirement. I was really enjoying what I was doing. Um, but I realized that this would be a job that I would enjoy for a lifetime. It was a dream come true. And so uh, with the support of my wife in 1994, um, I elected to leave the Air Force at that time and join the Air Medical Office with three other dogs. Um, I worked as uh, the Associate Aeromedical Advisor until 2010 when I became Alpa's Aeromedical Advisor. And uh, we merged uh, some companies, um, Aviation Medicine Advisory Service and Virtual Flight Surgeons. Aviation Medicine Advisory Service provides service to Alpa pilots at uh, no cost for all of their medical certification uh, questions, assistance, and uh, advocacy. Um, we do provide services for other groups on a fee-for-service basis uh, to include other pilot unions, air traffic control unions, flight departments, et cetera. But uh, Alpa is our primary customer, and my primary role is to provide our medical advice and expertise to the Alpa leadership, uh, staff, and support the MECs, as well as uh, administer the HIMSS program for Alpa in the FAA. It's a wonderful job. I absolutely love it, and the ability to work with pilots and keep them flying uh, fulfills me every day. Dr. Schneider, I have used personally uh, Alpa Air Medical on several occasions. You guys are great. I am grateful and we are grateful for, for you setting aside some time today for us and we, uh, we look forward to hearing more of what you have to say. This is a great segue though for welcoming 
Captain Luis Perez. Uh, he's another one of our guests today. Luis, you have a, uh, a bio I'm sure is just as incredible as Dr. Snyder's. Why don't you share with us? Well, uh, good morning, uh, Jim. Thank you for, uh, for allowing me to come in here. And also thank you, Lynn, and especially thank you, Dr. Snyder. I, w I am a recipient of his services. Um, my bio is not as great as, as uh, Dr. Snyder, but uh, I did start in aviation in 1983 when I um, started flying hang gliders in Argentina, in the mountains of Argentina. And then in 1987, I moved to the States, started uh, working uh, at first, uh, you know, just uh, jobs at Disney World in Florida. And then I uh, went to school, started my professional aviation in 1989. And I was very grateful and fortunate to join United in 1995. Uh, I joined as a 737 first officer. And then um, later on, I would uh, become an instructor in 1999. Uh, then became a captain uh, three years ago, and I'm an LCA right now in the uh, 757, 767 fleet. Um, I, a year after joining United on my first probationary PC, I stumbled in my uh, in my first check ride, the one that everybody tells you not to not to mess up on, and that was my first encounter with the resources that we had. Uh, luckily, I had a great fleet captain in, in the 737 fleet, and he pulled me aside and saw that in my initial training, I had done very well. Uh, so he wanted to find out what were the extenuating circumstances of, of my troubles. And what he quickly found out is that there were a lot of external, sort, you know, external sources of stress. Uh, one of them is the family business um, in Argentina was, uh, was going under, and that was... Uh, Quite a bit of a stress on me and also I had slipped through the cracks and I did not get uh, the initial CRM training in those days it was called CLR and therefore uh, he pulled me aside had me uh, take the uh, CRM course the CLR course and then had me do a whole PC again um, but not before he recommended for me to see EAP the employee assistance program at that time, the SOAR program did not exist. Otherwise, I would have uh, gone to them. However, you know, this was my first experience going to this resource, the Employee Assistance Program. I was not familiar with it until uh, this fleet captain pointed it out. And to me, it was, it was a great insight into all the help that we have and, and to be able to just kind of uh, open, open up to help. I think that's, that's a very difficult thing to do, especially as a pilot. But it kind of set a path for me where in the future, when I had more issues that came up, I was, I was able to rely on those resources and call them out. Uh, and, and one of them was, uh, was AMAS, in which, uh, you know, I'll tell a little bit later, but that, that was another resource that I used, uh, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, Luis, uh, thanks for mentioning that. I'm really glad that you um, mentioned that your fleet captain at the time reached out to you that that's great uh, tribute to him uh, soar has a real good working relationship with the training center to encourage pilots to call soar at any phase of their training if they need help so um, i'm glad you got that we all know more now than ever that external factors can affect our performance and training and online so um, it's good that you you took advantage of that Yes, then you're absolutely right. You know, as, a, as an LCA, I have seen, uh, definitely, I have seen 
um, how resources can help pilots, especially pilots in training. I, you know, as I mentioned, I was an instructor. I was an instructor for a very, very long time. And I, you know, I would be in, in a position to find out and to, because of my own experience, I could see when pilots were having issues that related to something outside of their control. And I was able to kind of steer them in, in the direction of the resources, uh, including SOAR. Uh, the, um, you know, for my, my own experience, what happened later was in 2005. So this is, um, about 10 years after being at United, uh, our uh, daughter was born and about a year and a half after that happened, my wife was diagnosed with untreated postpartum de depression, chronic fatigue and, um, severe anxiety. And when we, uh, sought the psychologist to, to have her, um, treated, you know, the psychologist also diagnosed me with depression and mine was um, reactive to her condition. We had spent 12 years trying to conceive when our daughter arrived and ironically the miracle that was supposed to bring all the missing joy into our lives was actually the change that triggered our depression. At the time, the psychologist that we were seeing, uh, since she recommended medication for both of us, I um, did not want to take medication yet, knowing that the FA at the time uh, did not approve of flying with medication. So I said, I'm going to check with uh, the Employee Assistance Program, EAP, again, to make sure that, uh, you know, the path that they recommend to make sure that I don't get in trouble with the FA. And that was, um, you know, the, the reason why that resource or a resource like SWORD is important is because they understand our career whereas other therapists might not. Uh, so at the, at the time, like I said, the FA did not approve medication. Um, so the um, therapist recommended, the EAP therapist recommended that I try to find a program that used cognitive therapy. And she also recommended a book called Feeling Good by David Burns. And what I felt at the time when we found that therapist that used cognitive therapy, which by the way, uh, that therapist happened to be a professor at Denver University. So I felt more educated than I felt being treated. And the great thing too is I felt as we were getting educated, I felt as I was getting to learn the FMC of our brain. Up to that point, I felt that I was like flying raw data, you know, mentally wise. And I, I think also um, Dr. Snyder can give us a lot more insight onto, you know, what, you know, what's the status with the FA as far as medications is concerned, because that has changed over the years significantly. Luis, you mentioned medications. Uh, specifically, we're talking about antidepressants, correct? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make that clear. Dr. Snyder, this seems like a perfect time for you to clarify some of the knowns or, and unknowns about pilots' choices in regards to cognitive therapy or drugs, antidepressants and such, and the FAA's considerations with our medicals. Can you enlighten us about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. All of us in life experience um, different phases in the continuum of mental wellness from being uh, perfectly well to um, some minor stressors and inconveniences to perhaps something more significant or as Luis, um, faced um, something very significant in his life and in his family's life. And um, we, we move along that spectrum at different times. Um, it's impossible to always be well. 
So what a pilot needs to do is make an individual decision about whether they're okay to fly. And I always tout the I'm safe checklist, which we all know, illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, and depending on where you look at, emotions or eating and hydration. But the uh, emotions and stress part is certainly um, a critical point to, to assess to make sure that uh, we can do our duties as pilot in command or required crew member um, perfectly appropriately. And when pilots call us up about um, should I fly or should I not fly, we talk about the I'm safe checklist, but we also say um, would you fly your family with a pilot who just described what you described? If the answer is yes, then you probably can go ahead and fly. If the answer is no, you probably shouldn't. But there's a spectrum of support that's available uh, to pilots who are facing these challenges. And I like to compare this a little bit to um, a spiral dive in aviation. Um, when you start to feel the G load come up and the airspeed building up uh, psychologically, um, what you can do is you can release some back stick pressure and roll wings level and regain your psychologic altitude before you've lost too much. And Pilots are reluctant to call uh, or to seek help, as it was said, because uh, their fear of medical certification implications of that. But I would encourage people to reach out for all the resources that, that exist. And really, there's a hierarchy of resources that we walk pilots through. I think the first thing that we would recommend is peer support. And ALPA has tremendous peer support programs for all pilots. Uh, the SOAR program for United is an outstanding one, as are the other programs that exist. Um, also, a uh, person who goes and seeks help from clergy or EAP um, does not have to report that to the FAA. Likewise, peer support is not uh, reportable as well. Uh, the next thing, the next level that uh, we would go to that does require uh, reporting to the FAA but is not necessarily grounding would be that of a family or marital counselor. And in fact, if the counseling is purely for family business, or family issues, or marital uh, counseling, that's not even reportable to the FAA as stated on the application. Once a pilot moves to a mid-level mental health professional uh, for a personal mental health reason, uh, that becomes reportable to the FAA, but isn't necessarily grounding. And most of these people are master's level and trained in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'll talk about in just a second. Uh, with more significant conditions, a person may move up to uh, get treatment with a psychologist who holds a doctorate degree, and, but does not prescribe medication. Uh, so it's possible to continue to see a psychologist and still fly. Another resource that people sometimes go to is the primary care physician. Um, primary care physicians are rather rushed and tend to prescribe medication because that's easy to do rather than uh, spend the time sitting with someone. And then the highest level of therapy would be, be with a psychiatrist who may combine um, both uh, psychotherapy along with medication. But let me talk briefly about cognitive behavioral therapy. If you look at the definition, it says, it's a form of psychologic treatment that has been demonstrated to be effective for a range of problems, including depression, anxiety disorders, alcohol and drug use problems, marital problems, eating disorders, and even severe mental illness. There have been numerous 
research studies that suggest that cognitive behavioral therapy leads to significant improvement in functioning and in quality of life. Uh, in many studies, cognitive behavioral therapy has been demonstrated to be as effective or even more effective than other forms of psychological therapy or um, psychiatric medication. It just takes a while to kick in. But to simplify, I would say cognitive um, behavioral therapy is much like uh, handling a warning light in the cockpit. We're left side of the brain type of people. We're uh, checklist oriented. So when you get a psychological warning light, uh, you would recognize that there's a problem. You do a systemic assessment of what's really happening. And is the plane or are you still flying psychologically? And then you use a checklist that the counselor has given you to address each of these emotions you have and to have a strategy to deal with those effectively uh, without allowing the problem to get worse. And generally, this is extremely effective and in particular effective for the type of personality that we as pilots have. I um I, I really like your your analogy, Dr. Snyder, on the uh, spiral because I have used that uh, quite a bit. Uh, I, I'm very fortunate that I was uh, taught early on to uh, let go of the stick and, and let the airplane do its flying so that I can uh, find resources. Uh, because right after I, uh, you know, was completing depression treatment, and as you said, you know, we actually, I did get to experience with, uh, with my wife and my situation, we got to experience both the psychologist and the psychiatrist. Since she was taking medications, she needed a psychiatrist. And, you know, and we were, we were very, very fortunate to find uh, a couple, psychologists and psychiatrists, so that we can work together. But right as, after I was completing depression treatment, I was uh, diagnosed with a tumor in my sacrum uh, in my back that had to be removed by surgery. Therefore, before I can return from flying uh, right after depression treatment, I had to go straight into uh, surgery and that kept me off flying for uh, a little bit longer. And that's when I came uh, in contact with the process of Alpha Aeromedical and AMS, you know, your, your uh, services, which for me that were invaluable. And that's, that was the first time that I, at the time, uh, you were working with uh, Dr. Hudson was Hudson. the Alpire medical advisor at that time and my Correct. mentor and also a psychiatrist. Right. Uh, so anyhow, I, um, so those were again, you know, other, other times that I, you know, I got to use that. And at the time also right after I finished uh, or as, as I was completing cognitive therapy, mindfulness was introduced to me as well as a, as an additional, resource that I could use. And the, the combination of the two, mindfulness and cognitive therapy, were very, very, very valuable to me, especially to come back to flying. I would reinforce that um, CBT and mindfulness are both very, very effective um, self-administered therapies in many cases uh, to help someone get back. Um, it's always a pleasure to work with pilots like you, Luis, who are passionate about their flying and working hard to address their medical conditions and their mental health uh, before it deteriorates, because then it's easier to get someone uh, back flying. I neglected to mention a little bit earlier about the implications of medication, but when you first came to us, 
uh, the FDA did not allow any use of psychoactive medications for depression or any other condition. Um, it was in 2011 that the FAA um, began allowing uh, four selective serotonin release <coughs> inhibitors called SSRIs uh, for pilots who have um, recurrent depression or major depression. There certainly are some caveats on that and there's some hurdles in getting people to fly with that. But since then, we've had about 200 pilots who are currently flying on SSRIs now with a diagnosis of depression. So coming forward early is really essential. If we can get someone back flying with cognitive behavioral therapy or some other form of psychotherapy before they start on medication, that process is much quicker. However, if they do require medicine, the door is not closed. Um, pilots can return either on the medication or after uh, a treatment period on the medication and uh, stopping it and observing them for several months off the medicine to make sure they don't have a recurrence. So. Um, Always a pleasure to work with the, uh, with the pilots and also the resources that uh, ALPA provides uh, to, support, uh, to support all of our pilots. Right, and you talk about uh, medication and the, you know, the fact that the way that I would say it is kind of like a last resort in the sense that um, if, we can, if we can use the other resources first, you know, that will perhaps get us into flying faster and, and for me, mindfulness had a, a correlation with medication in the sense that, um, you know, when I was introduced to a mindfulness practice in 2007, I was not as consistent when I first started. You know, it was, it was something that it was kind of supporting my cognitive uh, behavioral therapy that I had done. But I soon started to realize the impact of it. Not only I realized the impact on mindfulness just on my personal life, but I also started to realize that there was an impact of it on my flying. And the reason why it's because it basically tells us, you know, to have an awareness of where our mind is in, in the present moment. And when I started to connect that when I was sitting in the flight deck flying, um, where my mind was, was instrumental to being more effective as a pilot. Then I started to get even more interested and I started to actually practice it more. Uh, as an instructor at the time that I was, we had you know, many incidents that we were having uh, as a fleet. And I remember that I started to see the correlation between those incidents not being really training issues that's themselves, but actually where the, the pilot's mind was at the time that the incident happened. Because uh, during those days, 2007, 2008, our fleet had a lot of very, very experienced pilots that had not been moving that much. So they were very experienced on the airplane and very experienced pilots as well so there was a there was a little bit of what pilots would call complacency and what i realized that complacency was is once we get automated on what we do our mind tends to wonder and get into the past and the future and a lot of that has to do with things that are we you know it's correlated to anxiety you know usually goes to the future and what we worry about or it goes into our past or the things that we had experienced that we did not like that very much um, so I, I started to see a, a, a great, great correlation, and I, I kind of called mindfulness uh, mind essay, situational awareness of where, you know, of where our thinking is. As an LCA, I concur with Lewis. Now, as I mentioned earlier, with all the distractions out there, it's extremely important that we all stay focused when we're flying and mindful. 
this is similar to the high-performance athletes that we can compare ourselves to. Lynn, I, I'd like to reinforce what you just said about mindfulness. It's such a valuable tool in keeping us performing effectively. In this era of COVID, uh, for most pilots, handling the stressors of the pandemic doesn't dramatically affect their ability to fly, but it certainly presents a new set of rules for them and their families to operate by outside of the aircraft. Uh, many of us have practical everyday stressors that range from inconveniences to significant disruptions in our status quo. I love how Luis described mindfulness as mind SA. You're building an awareness of yourself and of external factors without judgment or emotion, and you're free of distractions. This allows individuals to better recognize what factors are impacting their lives and what reactions to those stressors are. Then they can deal with each of these systematically while the stress and anxiety are reduced. And although not technically accurate, I think of mindfulness as self-administered uh, CBT. It's extremely effective. Uh, I practice it each day, although I'm sure I'm not as uh, well-practiced and effective as uh, Luis, but that's what I aspire to. Yeah, I, I totally concur with what you said, uh, Dr. Snyder. And I, you know, one of the correlations that I wanted to make too is that there's, a, there's another component to it. One is the mind they say aspect you know the situational awareness but the other one too is the ability to take us out of our biggest uh drives or i should say when our brains are being pulled away or or what we consider hijacked you know when there's a situation like we, we get angry or, or when we're actually under the influence of uh, of drugs in my case um, which happened later in 2009 which is when I connected with you, Dr. Uh, Snyder. Um, I had a tragic accident that put me in ICU with a broken back and many, many broken bones. You know, after ICU, I spent two and a half months at Crick Hospital, which specializes in spinal cord injuries. And there was, um, at the time, one of my biggest, I would say, obstacles, aside from all the broken bones and from the fused back that I had, was the severe pain that I was experiencing. And because of you know, you know, how they uh, dealt with that in both in ICU and then at Kirk Hospital, I was inundated with all kinds of uh, narcotics. Uh, at one point I was administered Delighted, which is I think, I believe it's a synthetic morphine. I had uh, hydrocodone, oxycontin and neurontin which is a neuropathical pain medication, all of those at once. And for me, in order to return back to flying, uh, I needed to let go of those medications. And I was, I was very, very fortunate that a friend of mine at the time came to visit and he actually shared with me a, um, it was actually a CD, which was uh, John Kabat-Zinn's Mindfulness Meditation for Pain Relief. So even though I had been practicing a little bit of mindfulness, I think that one made me, it actually forced me to practice it even more strongly. And also um, that in combination with uh, biofeedback, which was, you know, with the help of technology where I could actually practice mindfulness and see the effects of it on a monitor, I was able to slowly let go of the medications in order to, uh, to return back to flying. And I remember very well, that this is, uh, you know, when I, when I 
uh, asked for help. I came to Alpa Amos, and once again, I got to uh, work with you. I would say, actually, I, I did work with you at that time in, in trying to come back to flying. It was a 10-month-long uh, process for me because of getting, you know, getting, uh, uh, I had to learn to walk again, I would say. But once I started to, uh, once I was released from the hospital, the, um, the FA required me to be two months off of Neurontin and then one month off of the other ones. And I don't think I would have been able to do that without mindfulness practice. Absolutely. You are an inspiration to me, Luis. You did everything you possibly could to position yourself uh, to regain your medical certificate, even at those early times when it seemed impossible. And I know the, the physical pain and the stress were tremendous but the mental challenges you faced were even greater. Um, you used all the tools available to keep your mind focused and your spirits buoyed. Um, I remember you sending me pictures of your family and your hang gliding, and it had nothing to do with the certification efforts, but it spoke volumes about your spirit and your values and your desire to return to fly. So it was inspirational uh, the whole time working with you. And um, I know you were, greatly enjoyed when you got your medical back, but uh, I was just a notch below that in my level of uh, happiness and ecstasy for uh, seeing you get your uh, medical back. And it was a tribute to everything you did with mindfulness um, and your therapy too. So I, I want to I point out too, I, I know this is, uh, you probably don't want me to put this plug in there, but I, I do want to say this because you're, you're an inspiration to me as well. You know, when I learned that uh, as a Kirk Hospital patient, you know, you're very aware that uh, Kirk Hospital builds their whole therapy on their therapeutic recreational department, which is getting people to do what they used to do, even if, if it's in different ways. So they had a really, really in, a big insight on the mind and how it played it into the activities that we did. And when I learned that you were flying your glider and taking people from Craig, or taking patients from Craig hospitals up for rides, uh, that uh, was incredible to me. And, and as a matter of fact, it inspired me too as, as well to, uh, to volunteer at Craig, you know, after I, I went back to flying. Like I said, you know, I had been practicing mindfulness more consistent, but I had never taken a formal, formal course, formal training. So most of my training in mindfulness has been uh, self-administered. You know, I have used a lot of resources, including a Headspace, the Waking Up uh, application as well, uh, in addition to a lot of uh, books, and especially books on, ta on tape. And one of them that has been instrumental for me, it's called Fully Present, the Science, Art, and practice of mindfulness, which is written by Susan uh, Smiley and uh, Diana Winston, and they're both from uh, UCLA, from their uh, uh, the UCLA's mindfulness research center. And then I have also worked with different organizations in the past four years to try to incorporate mindfulness into pilot training as well. Since I, I realized that there is a big potential there and uh, there's still incidents that we had especially for example with go-arounds pilots that will, that are unstable and do not go around that's a significant issue with us that we haven't been able to correct over the years and i believe that the reason it's because of of where our minds get in that situation you know how stressed we get and we get into this uh process we call hijack and i believe that mindfulness could have a huge impact on that and I've been uh, I've been working on that for the past uh, few years
Luis, you have uh, certainly had a tremendous number of experiences and and you can serve as a as an inspiration to all of our pilots. Now, all of our pilots won't share in what you've gone through, but we all have shared the experience of that check ride and, and the, the, the most uh, important check ride of your life is the one that you had the issue with. So anybody listening here can certainly take away that, uh, that if you can get through it, they can get through it. And I appreciate that. With all of that, how would you like to end this? Uh, and uh, what can you give us as a takeaway from, from your uh, from your experiences um, before before the takeaway I'd like to add to what you just said because I, I did not mention you, you you hit on something that it's dear to my heart you mentioned check rides uh, and the stress of a check ride as an instructor we uh, we have a lot of times we have a little protocol of checking in with the pilot before they go into their check ride and ask them about their life you know are they ready to go to the check ride or is there any reason perhaps in their lives going on for which they, you know, they shouldn't go into the check ride. And the majority of the pilots would actually say, no, no, I'm fine. And I want to, you know, uh, just go into the check ride. And over the years I have helped through additional training, a lot of pilots that actually went in did not do good in the check ride. And then later we kind of, when we're putting the pieces back together, they tell me, Oh yeah, all of this is going on in my life. And, uh, but they were not willing to, uh, to bring that up uh, up front. And so there's one of the big takeaways, I believe, you know, through my journeys of up and downs is that I have learned that the importance of reaching out and reaching out early, as Dr. Snyder said. You know, SOAR, it's one of those programs where we can actually talk to our peers in a confidential way. And it's very, very important to reach out because, uh, you know, as pilots, we always think that we have everything under control. We really want to control situations. Um, that I think that's a requirement when we fly. But another requirement is to manage risk. And I think one of the biggest difficulties is to actually come out and say, I need help. You know, I have worked with pilots that had no hesitations in flying into a war zone with a, with a fighter jet, but they did not want to say, I need help. And I think that it takes a lot of courage to come out and say, hey, you know, I, you know, I cannot handle the situation. And can you help me? And there's so many resources, as you know, as Dr. Snyder already um, brought up, that we can use. As as an additional resources with whom I became familiar in the past uh, few months, there is the Mindful Aviator, which is um, you know also a, a available resource, and also Life Effect, which are these are. Um, services where we can actually call them up and ask for uh, for help as well they and they tailor specifically to aviation and they they extensively use mindfulness as well um i can't agree more with what uh, louise said that um we will all face challenges in our careers uh, examples would include sick children elder care um buying and selling homes Unfortunately, furloughs for some, we're facing that now, displacements, check rides, host of other things. And most of these, over 80% of these can very effectively be addressed with peer support and won't affect medical certification. But the point that Luis made is critical. Reach out for help early. The ALPA peer support program volunteers 
are some of the best trained in the industry. Um, and they're available because they care for the well-being of fellow pilots. Additionally, their training talks about the wealth of resources that are available to support a pilot in need. And some of these um, may be uh, assistance with uh, disability pay or interacting with uh, a chief pilot to just get some time away. Um, the effectiveness of peer support programs has been recognized internationally. I speak about it uh, around the world and EASA right now is mandating it for all of their airlines. Um, we work collaboratively. Uh, both the medical professionals and the volunteers, we work collaboratively uh, with uh, all the other volunteers uh, that exist, the SOAR program, the PAN program, the PATH, Americans Project Wingman. We're all in this to help pilots. And we work together like a good crew does uh, to reach out uh, to a pilot who may be struggling with life issues, to know that there's a wingman who's that peer support volunteer to protect their career, and enhance their lives. Ultimately, our goal is for a pilot to have full well-being and to protect his or her career and enjoy what they're so passionate about, and that's flying. In the midst of what's going on with the COVID pandemic and with historically large displacements and check rides that are going on, piloting your mind is going to be very germane to our pilots, and we appreciate all the help you've given us here. If anyone wants more information about the topics discussed, links will be added to the end of this podcast, not only for information on AMAS, but Captain Perez has offered to speak with anyone who might want more information on his experiences. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast, Piloting Your Mind series. To our guests, Dr. Snyder, Captain Perez, and Lynn Tatum. We greatly appreciate all of your hard work, especially your observations, insights, and professionalism. On behalf of the United MEC and all of our ALPA volunteers, fly safe and stay healthy. I'm Captain James Belton.